to getting some feedback on that. Before we begin, let me give a couple of announcements. First of all, Grow 201 is coming up in September. It's a great class. Um, it is the class in which we learn how to grow spiritually um, by uh, learning how to do daily devotions and things of that nature. Great class, and it's, it's something that all of us should take. And so uh, look at the table outside or go on the website and sign up. Secondly, Go Guatemala. We've been talking about being on mission, and this is our next opportunity. We're, um, we go every year to visit an orphanage, and it's a great uh, trip because if you have like a, a child, fourth grader or older, you can take your child with you. So it's a great mission opportunity. Okay? So, um, you know, in whatever we do in life, it's my experience just personally and talking to people that the most difficult thing about what you normally do is not in what you do, but the people you do it with. So, uh, for example, you may think that there are times when work is hard, but I would venture to guess that the most difficult thing about work is not the work itself, but the people that you work with at times. Um, Having uh, kids is wonderful, and in fact... Uh, You've dreamt of having a full family with many kids until you had kids. And you realize kids can drive you nuts at times. You wanted to get married, and and you finally found the person of your dreams. And it's wonderful for most of the times until the person that you've married really uh, drive your patience. The church you thought was a safe place. It's a place where the children of God come together and all that which embodies the gospel should be here. But unfortunately, it is at the church and in fact doing ministry or doing missions work that you often find pain. In a place where you're supposed to find acceptance and camaraderie and encouragement is oftentimes a place you find experience, uh, you experience rejection and discouragement. You know, each one of us can probably point to a time, if you think about it, a moment, even in the church, even when you're doing ministry, where you were deeply hurt. You were deeply disappointed by someone at the church. And you think that church should be a a different place and, and under the umbrella of the gospel that our experiences should be more generous, but it's not. Um, And I would venture to guess that uh, everywhere we look, in almost anything that we do, one of our biggest pains is that with people. It's relational conflicts that really hurt us. I have good news for you. We're in the book of Acts. And in the beginning of the second missionary journey, this is where the church is flourishing and growing and the gospel is taking root and really expanding. In the midst of all of that, uh, we have two of the greatest heroes in the New Testament, Paul and Barnabas, engaged not in missionary work, uh, but while in, they are engaged in missionary work, really the topic that surfaces is relational conflict. And so the good news is that we're going to look at that. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 15? We'll, we'll be starting from verse 36. Acts 15, we'll start from verse 36, and we'll go all the way to chapter 16, verse 5. But I'm going to read 
chapter 15, verses 36 through verse 41 to begin. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. We're going to look at uh, two sets of relationships, uh, the separation of Paul and Barnabas and the meaning of Paul and Timothy. And then we're going to look at some implications or some lessons from it. Well, let's look at, first of all, the separation of Paul and Barnabas. We begin in chapter 15, verse 36. Paul, um, and the background is that Paul and Barnabas, they were partners. They were co-pastors. They were fellow missionaries. They had come back from a missionary journey uh, throughout parts of Turkey. Great fruit. Uh, many Gentiles came to know Jesus Christ as well as Jews. A lot of persecution, but at the same time, much fruit. They came back home. They went to Jerusalem to talk to the, the mother church and found um, and um, uh, a verdict was handed down. Yes, Gentiles are uh, welcomed into the church. Let's just make sure we're unified and edifying uh, for one another. So they come back to their home church, a church at Antioch. Okay? So these two missionary pastors, church planters, friends, are back in their home church, and Paul says, let's go back to the churches that we've started. Let's go back to see how they're doing, and, 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 to, and, and let's go and encourage them. And Barnabas, being the kind of person he is, said, let's take John with us. John Mark, that's his name. Let's take John with us. The problem is this. In chapter 13, or in the first missionary journey, John Mark did go with Paul and Barnabas. They were in the first leg of the trip. They were in um, uh, Cyprus. But at, from Cyprus, he decided for whatever reason, John Mark could not go on to the rest of the trip, which is a three-year trip. So John Mark bailed on them. And so Paul and Barnabas go ahead without John Mark. Now, on the second missionary journey, Paul says, let's go back. Barnabas says, Sure, let's go back, but let's take John Mark with us. Okay? So before the missionary journey even begins, the first missionary journey begins with the Holy Spirit um, telling the, the church, go set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas. And there was fasting and prayer, a spirit of unity. The second missionary journey begins before they even start with a conflict on who's going to be on the team. It, the second missionary journey begins with a relational conflict between two spiritual giants of the church. This is the kind of person Barnabas was. He was a generous person. If, if you don't know, Barnabas' real name isn't Barnabas. It is, any of you know? Barnabas' real name is Joseph. So his parents um, raised Barnabas uh, saying, hey, Joe, come here. Joseph, uh, have you had dinner? But his friends, after they got to know him, he was such a, 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 an encourager that, that people began to call him 
Barnabas or son of encouragement or Mr. Encourager. So when his friends saw him, hey, there's Mr. Encourager, Barnabas, come, come. In, in Acts chapter 4, when the church begins, Barnabas was such a, an encouraging, self-sacrificial individual that he sold some of his real estate and, and donated to the church so that the church can help those in need. In chapter 9, when Saul, who was a, 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 an enemy of the church, dramatically came to know Jesus Christ, and he began to really... Um, you know, share his testimony that Jesus is the Messiah. And, but the problem was that because Paul had such a negative reputation among the church, people were afraid of him. But in Acts chapter 9, uh, verse 27, we are told that, but Barnabas took Paul and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord and spoke to them, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Paul was an enemy of Christ, had come to know the Lord. The church was still afraid of him, but it was Barnabas, the encourager, sacrificed a little bit of his reputation, risked uh, himself a little bit by saying, no, come on, Paul, uh, Barnabas, to the church, we need to trust this man. In chapter 11, verse uh, 25, when the church at Antioch had started growing in the church at Jerusalem, sent Barnabas, Mr. Encourager, pastor, go teach them, pastor them. Barnabas had been this, at this church for a little while, and he realized, he, I need a co-pastor. And he goes, and guess who bring, whom he brings? He brings Paul with him, saying, come, be my co-pastor at this church. And so when the church at Antioch says, set apart for me, Barnabas and Paul appear, uh, one, an encourager, Barnabas. You know, in many ways, uh, Barnabas uh, sacrificed his own time, his own money, his own fame, and his authority at, he, at the expense of himself in order to serve others, even elevate his partner, Paul. He was the kind of person, Barnabas was the kind of person I think we would want as a friend. Sacrificial, relational, putting others first. Now, that was Barnabas. This was Paul. Paul, when we first meet him, was a violent persecutor of the church. He was a passionate individual. When he believed in something, he was passionate about it. When he thought that the church was the enemy, he was passionately against the church. And then when he had a, uh, a conversion experience, he became passionate about the gospel now. To the point where as soon as he became saved, he began to go out and started preaching and arguing the, with the Jewish authorities. In chapter 9, uh, in chapter 13, when they were going on a missionary journey, so Barnabas and Saul began the journey. And, and in the beginning, uh, we always would hear Barnabas's name first, followed by Saul's name second. And so they embark on this spiritual journey, uh, on this missionary journey, and in this one little um, uh, 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 island called Cyprus, they have an encounter with someone who was an opponent of the gospel. And it says in chapter 13, verse 9, but Saul, who was also called Paul, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Okay. So in, in this particular encounter, the gospel was met with opposition, an enemy. And it was Saul, who from this moment on is now going to be called Paul. He is the one who rises up and engages in conflict. And from this moment on, it is not Barnabas and Saul, but, it, but they are called Paul and Barnabas. And Paul becomes the primary spokesperson. And in fact, when they get into a conflict, the, the crowds rise up and they dislike the, the gospel that's being preached. And they take a hold of Paul in order to, to, to throw stones at him because they believe, the crowd believed it is Paul who was the primary spokesperson and agitator. Paul was a passionate individual, unafraid of conflict if necessary. If Barnabas was the kind of person you want as a friend, Paul was the kind of person you want if you were going to get in a fight, right? So here was these two people. Barnabas was a relational person. He was an encourager. He focused on individuals. Um, he, when he was making an argument, he, it says he wanted to take uh, uh, John Mark with him, with them. Uh, he, Barnabas led with emotions. And if, you know, in, in this mire brick type of thing, right, um, someone classified Barnabas as an INFP, if that makes sense to some of you. I, I know some of you are into that. INFP, and, and I asked the question, are you more of a thinker or feeler? Barnabas would be more of a what? A feeler, right? And, and some of you, when you were introducing yourself, hi, my name is so-and-so, some of you said, I'm, I'm a feeler. And you feelers probably identify with Barnabas in that way. Paul was a missions-oriented person. He was a driver. He focused on the work that benefited the individuals. It's not like Paul hated people, but he thought that the work itself benefits people, so we ought to focus on the work. He makes an intellectual argument. While Barnabas uh, wanted to, uh, Paul thought. He led from the mind in, such, in a way, and someone classified Paul's uh, Myers-Briggs as an ENTJ. I know these mean something to many of you. So Barnabas was an INFP. Paul was an ENTJ. And I guess that means that they're like complete opposites of each other in some ways. Right? You know, I, I've been looking forward to reading, uh, uh, studying this particular passage and, and preaching it because for the longest time it baffled me why two of the spiritual giants in the New Testament would fight and would part ways. So I read um, over 10 commentaries. I wanted to, and I, I read as many commentaries as I, as I can get my hands on to, fit, to try to understand what biblical scholars would, would say. Who was right and who was wrong? Was the, the feeler at fault for feeling too much? Or was the thinker at fault for being heartless? And my conclusion after having read all these so-called biblical experts is that there, there's not a consensus. In fact, 
none of the commentators would, would say either Paul, uh, Barnabas or Paul was right or wrong. They left it in this ambiguous uh, uh, place where we're not quite sure. Was Barnabas at fault for being too emotional and, and risking the mission by giving John a second chance? Or was Paul at fault for being too mission-focused and forgetting that the mission was, was ultimately about people? I, I, and I don't know where you fall in this. If you had to make an, a judgment, if you ever got into a situation where as a feeler you say, no, no, we got to be people first, even if we're late. We have to focus on the person, how they're feeling at the moment. Or if you're the kind of person that's unknown, we've got to get there on time. We've got to get the work done, which is more important. This is what happens. Verse 39. The disagreement, apparently, intensified to the point in chapter 15, verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement. And I would have liked to have said that in the original Greek, that the sharp disagreement meant they agreed to disagree. But that's not what it means. Because sometimes we, we like to paint the scripture in such a way that's politically correct. But no, it doesn't mean that. They, they, they had a conflict that probably rose where they, they were offending one another. And blaming each other and, and saying, no, you're to this and you're to that. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. So Barnabas, uh, and by the way, Mark was his cousin, took Mark, went back to the island where they did that uh, ministry, but Paul chose Silas, and Silas was a uh, representative from Jerusalem, came, and they went, and being commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, they went through Syria, Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So collectively, they, they go and, and visit all the churches, but they went their separate way. One of the things, uh, the common thread that I've kind of noticed among the commentators is this. They're not sure who's right and wrong, but this is an unfortunate thing that happened. And there was a, a bit of sadness. I, I don't know who was right and wrong. And I, I believe there's a reason why the scripture leaves things vague in some ways. I, and, and I'm gonna, but I do know this that perhaps it was, uh, they were both right and wrong, in that they were right in having the opinions that they had from the personalities that they had, but they were wrong in allowing it to rise to a level of sharp disagreement. That it, perhaps it was not wrong for them to disagree or even to have gone their own way, but perhaps their fault is allowing it to become the kind of conflict in which we read about and saying, did it have to go that far to that end? You know, oftentimes we think that it is wrong for Christians to disagree, or if two spirit-filled Christians um, are thinking about an issue, that the Holy Spirit will, will prompt them to come to the exact same conclusion. And when, 
we disagree with another Christian. We think either uh, I'm wrong or they're wrong. And most of the time, if we, if we feel like we're mature and reading Scripture and have taken the 201 class and I'm having my devotion, then I'm right and you must be wrong. But perhaps, but perhaps, and may I humbly maybe suggest that even two spirit-filled Christians can disagree on a subject. But uh, where we fall is when we begin to blame and, and, and morally judge other people and say, you are in sin even. So it's not in that, that we cannot disagree, but it's when we sin in our disagreement. We pivot from there to this next relationship of Paul and Timothy in chapter 16. So, they, so Paul and uh, Silas now go on this new missionary journey, the second missionary journey. And it is interesting what happens next. Chapter 16, they, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, a son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek, and they continue on in their journey. Um, what is interesting here is this. So Paul goes on this missionary journey with Silas. He was a mission-first individual. His argument was that of logic and of the mind. He thought that John Mark shouldn't go. And the first thing that he does, is he goes to this particular area, finds this young man by the name of Timothy. And Paul wanted to take Timothy with him. Half Jewish, half Greek, a bicultural individual to the areas that they're going to visit, helpful person, has him circumcised in order to, to accommodate uh, the Jewish, uh, unnecessarily Jewish um, critics. What kind of a person was Timothy? Paul writes a letter to Timothy, the pastor Timothy, years later. And this is what he writes. Uh, uh, no, he writes about Timothy uh, when he's writing to the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one else like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how a son with a father he served with me in the gospel. I don't know about you, but when I here, Paul describing Timothy. You know, with me right now, I have no one else like him. Someone who is genuinely concerned about your welfare, others' welfare. I don't know about you, but it almost feels like Paul is talking about a version of Barnabas, a son of encouragement. Paul when he began Christian ministry, was embraced by Barnabas, Mr. Encourager, who brought him to Antioch, who they traveled together. As someone who is highly relational, who put people first, himself 
above. Uh, so so it, was, it was Barnabas who put Paul ahead of himself even. And when they parted ways because uh, Paul was focused on the mission and, and Barnabas potentially was risking that, one of the first things that Barnabas does is find someone, I believe, had reminded him of Barnabas. Someone who would be people-oriented. Someone who is relational in that way. Someone who thinks about emotions and the well-being of people. This is what else Paul thinks of Timothy. When Paul writes to Pastor Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he instructs the church not to despise Timothy of his youthfulness. When he writes to the Corinthian church and he sends Timothy um, with a letter, he tells them in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 10 and 11, uh, he tells the, uh, the Corinthian church, you know, I'm going to send Timothy to you, but I don't want, please don't despise him, but accept him. So he, he's telling Timothy, um, don't let them despise you for your youth, but show yourself an example. He tells the Corinthians, don't despise him. Timothy, if, and perhaps if it was because of his age or his just natural temperament, we, taught, we, we read, we hear that it was the spiritual influence of his mother and grandmother, not necessarily his father and grandfather. Uh, perhaps because it was his age or his temperament, Paul was worried about the church or others not accepting him, but, but rejecting him. For me, it is interesting that Paul uh, wanted to reject John Mark because he couldn't trust him. But when he's talking about Timothy, he's trying to tell others, please accept him. Although his, temp, his persona, his, his gravitas may not lead you to trust him and respect him at that level. Years later, Paul writes the last letter of his life, at least far as the, our, our New Testament is known. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul is in jail. He thinks that he's going to, become, uh, he's going to be executed. He writes a letter... And he, he writes to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. And he tells Timothy, can you, among many things, several things, bring with you John Mark, the John that Paul rejected. Bring John Mark, for he is very useful for ministry. I want to point out three ironies, three ironies. You know, one of our biggest pains is, is relational pains, relational conflict. It happens in marriage. It happens at work. It happens in the family. It happens in the church. It happens when you go on missions. Well, some of the most difficult things in life are people. The things that, you know, um, make us stay up at night, the things that kind of eat away at us are people. The three ironies I find here. Number one, the church is filled with messiness. The church is filled with messiness. You know, if I were to manufacture a spiritual religious book, and, and at the beginning of the church, of the spiritual organization, uh, and, and I want to I make heroes, and two of the biggest heroes are Paul and Barnabas, 
if I was manufacturing a story, a narrative, a fiction, what I would have done is to paint Paul as an incredibly um, a consistent heroic figure, and I would have made Barnabas uh, his sidekick, if, if I will, but, uh, but a partnership that is strong and unified. But what we find here is, is the two heroes in the height of the beginning of the, the, the church in a messy relationship, a messy friendship. And we, we can try to sugarcoat it, but, but they get in a conflict. They fight and they split. We like to think that they agree to disagree, but that's not exactly what happened. One commentator writes this, the point here, however, is that the relationship between the two great men of God had failed. Nowhere in the account does it say that the two prayed and that it seemed good to them and the Holy Spirit for Mark to remain or for the two of them to double their ministry by going in different directions. The omission of a harmonious conclusion indicates the unstated but undeniable failure of two of the greatest souls the church has ever known. I'll tell you why this is encouraging for me, to, to know that Paul and Barnabas failed. I, I, for, and, and I'll have more, but the reason it encourages me is this, that the Bible must be true. They're not trying to make things up. It's a, the Bible is an account of, of real people doing real things, and that includes getting into conflict. The second irony, the second irony is this, that God works in spite and through our flaws. That God works in spite and through our flaws. I don't believe, and nowhere is the are, are, are there evidences that God was pleased that Paul and Barnabas had a conflict. I don't think the Holy Spirit was saying to Paul, "Oh, you know, you should tell Barnabas that he's an idiot." I believe that the Holy Spirit was grieved at the sharp conflict. Barnabas, though, took John Mark and completed their part of the mission. Paul formed a second team with Silas and later on added Timothy, and and they did the other portions of the work. The original plan for Paul and Barnabas was go backtrack all those churches that they started to strengthen and encourage them, but now what happens is because of the conflict, there are two teams that form. And collectively, the two do more work than the one team could have ever done alone. As for John Mark, the one that Paul rejected. Uh, by the way, if you didn't know that when you read the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament is the, the gospel of what? Matthew. The second is the gospel of Mark. This is that Mark. The one Paul rejected that by the encouragement of Barnabas, he, he redeems himself and becomes this man of God that even Paul recognizes and says, hey, I, he's useful to me. But in, in the midst of all of it, we realize that people have flaws. As one commentator writes, Christians walk with a limp, that we all have flaws. When I do premarital counseling, one of the first sessions that I uh, I, I have is um, on the topic of uniqueness. I, I have the couples read a chapter out of a Norman Wright book, 
And Norman Wright uh, talks about uniquenesses and differences. And he says this, oftentimes couples, when they get, uh, when they get together, when, when uh, a man and woman begin to date, they're attracted by their differences. But she loves to talk and he likes to remain silent. Things of that nature, you know. And they're attracted by those differences. But he says that in marriage, as time goes on, those differences become uh, points of contention. And instead of saying you're different, so in the beginning it was like, oh, I like how you are, it's so different from me. It becomes, what's wrong with you? And, and uh, Dr. Wright is saying that those differences uh, become points of contention where we begin to say, um, not only are we different, but you're wrong. And the thing that, that he's trying to get at the, the young couples is this. Tr- you have to train your mind in the beginning not to make moral judgments at the differences, but to say we're just different. I mean, it could be that they're wrong and you're, or you're wrong. But in the beginning, we got to say we're just different. The problem isn't that that Christians disagree. In fact, I think Christians can disagree even when we are filled with the one Holy Spirit. If, if if, If the ministry needs a friend, we need someone like Barnabas. Barnabas to go around, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? Let me spend time with you. Let me, you know? No, no, how are you really doing? And and we need Paul's like, what are you doing? Come on, Barnabas, we gotta get in a fight. And do you recognize that oftentimes, and even in this this missionary journey, there was a time when that team needed to fight, and there was a time that the team needed to to bond. And in fact, they needed both Paul and Barnabas, but when they begin to say, you're wrong, you're not in the spirit, you're in sin, that's when the, the differences became a sharp disagreement. Christians can disagree, but it's when we sin in our disagreement that we fall into sin. But in spite of that, God works. And this is so encouraging to me personally. That I don't have to necessarily be perfect, but God still somehow works through my flaws and my failures and your flaws and your failures. Finally, the third irony is this, that we need the very people we are annoyed by. We need the very people we are annoyed by. And, and this is, a, I, for me, a powerful observation. So Paul had this brother, son of encouragement, Mr. Encouragement. And, and it was great for Paul. But when they separated, one of the first things that he does, he's, he goes and finds someone who's highly relational Timothy. And I believe Paul recognizes, recognized not too long after they parted, he had Silas. I'm sure when he first chose Silas, oh good. Yes, Silas, you and I together, we're both goal-oriented. We're mission-driven. We believe in the mission. And they left behind, they separated from the person who was relationship-oriented. And not too long after, I, I think that Paul recognizes, hey, we're, we're too stale. We need someone who cares about people, not simply the mission. And so they found Timothy. Um, and another way of looking at it is this. Remember Paul, his background? He was a passionate uh, opponent of the gospel, rejected by the church. But it was Barnabas who put his arms around Paul, and at his own risk, he brought Paul to the church and said, we need to trust this individual. 
if it had not been for Barnabas, Paul would never have been included as a disciple apostle. So it was the very generous heart, relational bent that Barnabas had that allowed uh, Paul to come inside. But it was that very same generous heart that Barnabas had and, and that caused him to want to take John, which then Paul rejects. He, so Paul is rejecting the, the very quality that allowed him to be accepted. It's funny because we oftentimes uh, are annoyed by the very things that, that are different from us, but are exactly the kind of things that we need. In fact, I would venture to say the things that make you strong, who you are, your strength, your giftedness, your temperament, the way that God's used you in battle or in encouragement, at the same time are the things that cause you to be annoyed by people who are very different, especially when we're not filled with the Spirit. At the end, for me, just being the kind of engineer person that I am, still want to know who was right and who was wrong. I want to get to heaven saying, God, so what is it? You know, Paul, because he, 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 you know, throughout Scripture, he's the one who becomes the, the protagonist. Barnabas, we don't hear again. So does that mean Paul was? But we are also told it's all about people, you know. So what is it? Um, and, and I, you know, all my studies, I thought that someone give, would give me an answer, but no one had a good answer for me. May I contend with you, and, and, and this is my theory, that they were both right and they were both wrong. That God made both of them with their own unique set of giftedness and temperaments and personalities that ought to have been used for God's advancement and to minister to people. That God used someone like Barnabas and, and God you know, gave him this temperament to see the, the potential in people, the second chances in people. And, and God gave Paul the passion to drive things forward and not get mired down. And that both of them were right in seeing that particular issue at that moment in time. And, this is, and, and, I, and I don't know if this is true, but I, I, I believe this is true, that two people can both be filled with the Spirit uh, come to a particular issue and disagree on that issue, and they can both be spirit-filled. First Corinthians twelve tells us that that God has distributed His gifts and roles in different ways, and we express it in different ways. So you can have two spirit-filled Christians disagreeing on an issue. So they were both right, perhaps. That from Paul's perspective, that was a risk. From Barnabas' perspective, that no, we had to give him a second chance. But they were both wrong if they allowed that disagreement to, the, to rise to the point where there was a sharp conflict. I mean, they could agree to go and form two units, but not to the point where, where um, there was a sharp disagreement, sharp conflict to the point where, where they, no, I don't, I won't, I don't want to see you anymore, that type of stuff. Here's the problem. God's given each one of us a unique set of personalities and giftedness 
God may have made you a thinker or a feeler, an introvert or an extrovert, or whatever it may be, a life experiences where you are more sensitive to certain sins or not. Um, and we take all of that. But do you realize that no matter how spirit-filled you are, that you are never fully Jesus Christ? That God did not give you all of the gifts of the Spirit, only some. And God gave to others in this room other gifts of the Spirit. So that it is only when we listen and together can we represent Jesus Christ. There's only one Jesus who is both fully relational and, and, and fully missional. And it was only Jesus Christ who can say, I love the individual, I love you so much that I will fulfill the mission that only I can fill, which is give my body on the cross for you. And so for us, perhaps the answer isn't to try to figure out who was right and who was wrong, but to realize that the only true answer is in Jesus Christ. And that, that I cling on to him and him only. And, and I humbly come before him and, and realize that, that it's only in Christ that, who works not only through me, but in others who sometimes feel radically different from me. And we point others to that same Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for... Um, for the way in which you have gifted and crafted each individual in this, in this room. May we feel free about the fact that we are different from each other. But may we continue to pursue you because we realize that we are incomplete in who we are as well. Lord, We thank you. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. <laughs>